Alright everybody, welcome to the 226th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City and I got my man Sage chilling, man. Thank God the Blazers have been doing good because uh, your boy has been absolute ass in daily fantasy. The only positives basketball as I have is the Blazers are doing well. Because, who, baby, if you've been involved in daily fantasy or yearly fantasy, it's been rough out here. It's been so rough, man. Ugh. I work so hard to make so little money or lose all my money. So thank goodness the Blazers are succeeding because that bankroll sure as fuck ain't. <laughs> it may be rough in the DFS and the weather may be treacherous outside, but it has been Smooth sailing for our Trailblazers this week. A perfect 4-0 week, the second four-game win streak of the season. Portland handled business, uh, basically went wire-to-wire against the Orlando Magic, winning 106-97. to They followed that up on a TNT thriller, defeating the East-leading Sixers for the second time in a week, 118-114, to thanks to Carmelo Anthony's fourth-quarter explosion. No letdowns on Friday the following evening. Portland completely dominated the Cleveland Cavaliers from start to finish, winning 129-110. to And then Portland completed the perfect week with a just an exhilarating back-and-forth Dame versus Luka showdown in Big D. The Blazers coming out on top, 121 118 halting Dallas's winning streak and extending their own Sage. Our Blazers are now 16 and 10 on the season, five and a half games out of first in the West and just a game back of Phoenix for home court advantage. Uh, There was a lot to like from this week in Blazers basketball. I think the number one thing that stuck out to me, especially when we broke down every single game, like we, we played three out of four teams with a dominant post presence and, Dre Drummond, Joel Embiid, and Vucevic. And in our predictions, we thought that those guys were going to run free. It turns out we can we did a fantastic job of building the wall around the hoop on those for those big men, forcing them to pass to less desirable players. I thought the thing that was just so glowing and so really good by the Blazers was our post defense. Like those guys are great and transcendently good. Not not Drake Drummond, but Vuce and Joel are great. The way that we defended them, it was frustrating as hell for them to like try and do what they do best. Like I, I was really proud of the defense that we did, and you know, further in the year there's going to be other problems. But I feel very confident in our post defense, and that was something that I didn't think was going to happen uh, during this week. What did you think about that de- or, uh, post-defense? I thought the defense overall starting to come around. Uh, you look at the Blazers. We held our last four opponents to just under 110 points per game. Uh, I mentioned the Mavericks scored. They were averaging 130 points in their last four victories. They were well under that at 118. Um, I thought the three-point defense was... Incredible. And and I think that kind of goes back to your point about the post dominance of those three teams, but just look at these three point numbers that Portland was able 
able to hold their opponents to Orlando shoots 11 of 35. That's 31%. Philadelphia was an ice cold six of 27. The second straight time we have really clamped down Philadelphia behind the line. That was only 22%. Cleveland, not much better. Eight of 23 for 35%. And then Dallas, 14 of 41 for 34%. And really, aside from uh, a Luca Barrage at the end of the first half and a couple straight from Tim Hardaway Jr. in the fourth quarter, uh, Portland did a really good job, especially on Chris Tapp's Porzingis, not letting him get the looks that he wanted. I thought Portland did a fantastic job this week on the defensive end. Uh, just watching the game and using your eyes, you can see they're communicating a lot better. Mm-hmm. They're making the proper switches. I mean, we we got lucky on that last uh, shot by Doncic. There was a miscommunication at top between Covington and Derek Jones. You could see they didn't know whether they were supposed to switch, who was going to f- uh, go with Porzingis and who was going to go with Doncic. Luckily, he missed it, which would have forced overtime. But in general, the Blazers are making the right reads. Derek Jones and Covington, I think, have really made their impression felt this week. You can just watch the little things they do. Uh, Portland was fantastic at switching, specifically against the Dallas Mavericks. And I know it's crazy to say that you hold a team to 118 points and you feel good, but I felt good about that defensive performance. Um, And I want to give some credit to to Coach Stotts because I thought they made some adjustments this week. Uh, First, let's look at what they did against Joel Embiid. Um, Once again, he had a fantastic first half, but he was quiet again in the second half. And then Damian Lillard spoke about this in the press conference afterwards saying he, we were sending the double at the nail, which is around the free throw line. And, and it was coming right into Embiid's line of sight. So he could just see over the top of it. And that's where he started to hit players like Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, and Danny Green. And that's where they started to make their run in that third quarter. However, in that fourth quarter, we started sending the double from the baseline. And we got Embiid to make a couple of errant passes and missed a couple of shots down there. And that's a, that's a big thing for the Blazers because Damian attested to it saying we don't usually make adjustments in game like that. And for it to work, I think is huge because it shows the coaching staff that these type of on the fly decisions can pay dividends, especially come playoff time. The second thing I want to talk about is we talked about on this episode last week, Sage, how terrified we were of Chris Stapp's Porzingis going up against Ennis Cantor. Porzingis, five of nine, 18 points, eight rebounds, five fouls in foul trouble all night. However, Portland did not start Cantor on Porzingis at all. We put him on Dorian Finney-Smith, a Maxi Kleber, and if they wanted to run that pick and roll that way, they did. Terry, Terry also noticed to start the third quarter, Dallas got two quick buckets, and he immediately subbed out Cantor for a quicker Carmelo Anthony. So I think that shows, even in his ninth season, some maturation and growth on Terry Stotts' hand, and... I think ultimately those two decisions are why we're talking about a four and a week rather than a two and two week. Mm. And, and, you know, it's kudos to Terry. Like, you know, the players can regress or improve, but when you can point out feasible things that the coaching staff has done to make the players' lives easier, big shout out to him. Like, yeah, you, you totally could see them doubling as soon as, uh, Jojo or Boost caught the ball. Like, if we're talking about Orlando, what's the what's the most terrifying thing that happens? Vucevic or Frank Mason, Dwayne Bacon, uh, James Ennis? It's it's not even a question. You stop Vucevic, you make him pass the ball up to a non 
anybody but Terrence Ross. Yeah, a replacement level shooter. And like, yo, Terrence Ross had a stealing game against us. If you look at Terrence Ross's stats any other game, it's like, okay, we can handle this. He's just chucking and it happened to go in. We did a really good job focusing on those star bigs and forcing them to do things that they don't want to do. Like seeing that double as soon as they catch the ball or on the baseline. It's the way we defended was really perfect. And we have those long rangey defenders that can really help off the post defense on that double. So it's, it's, it was a really good week for our defense and you see the rotations, you see how hard everybody's working. We're so under understaffed in terms of like that top level talent. So to see them hustling and grinding and getting dubs is just so huge, especially when our guys come back without CJ or Nurk, we can, we can win games and that's huge. And I think you also saw the matchup for this week and how positive it was in Portland's favor. We do really well against post centric teams, teams that might not have just, you know, a plethora of shooters out there to spread us out. If, you know, I wasn't really concerned in either Philadelphia game if Embiid was going hot because one, he wasn't getting his teammates involved. Two, he wasn't getting to the free throw line. Three, he, he's just getting, you know, two points. It's it's those three-point shooting mm-hmm. teams that give us a lot of trouble, and that's why I was so happy with how we played Dallas. against the Dallas Mavericks, absolutely. And on the flip side, Portland has been a three-point shooting team times 10 this mm-hmm. season and you saw how well they play when their shots go in as well you know i talked about how defensively we played well guarding the three while on the offensive end of the floor we were cash from beyond the arc you look at orlando 18 of 46 39 uh, against philadelphia 17 of 38 45 against cleveland 13 of 35, 37%. And then tonight against the Dallas Mavericks, a blistering 45%, 18 of 40 from downtown. And that that those two areas are reasons to be excited, but also reasons to not start to planning the parade just yet. You know, Portland's gonna lives be by the match. three and they die by the three. Mm. There's gonna uh, be we're not always match. yes, we're not always gonna shoot that hot from three. But what I would like to note is defensively, we're starting to bring our lunch pail to the arena every single night. And that's what's going to travel when your three-point shot isn't falling. I'd also like to say that I think our threes are coming off of you know really good ball movement. You know, really aside from that mellow barrage, um, there haven't been a lot of ISO threes. It's been Dame has been fantastic at driving and kicking. You know, Anthony Simons and Gary Trent have been the, the prime recipients of that. And it just seems like everything's coming off of of nice movement, mm-hmm. and just open like an open runway for you to launch that three. It's it, it has been a really good week of watching offense and defense for this team, and we we were feeling good. Like I didn't think a week ago we'd be feeling great about where we're at defensively against the teams that we played. Like no way, but it, it it's working, and you're seeing adaptation, and that's huge. I'm very happy about this this week. Um, I feel like Robert Covington's finally starting to feel part of the team. You don't see the hesitation. You don't see the the weird, like, should I shoot this or should I not? You just see him launch. And if the shot is, isn't a bad one, you see him dribble drive and create something for somebody else. Robert Covington, 
has made some impact plays offensively and defensively. But you always you you count on Robert defensively. But when you can see him creating for others and himself and hitting threes confidently, that's so valuable to see because he's he really is the glue guy for this team. He does everything. He's one of those guys that doesn't need 20 shots or 10 shots. He's happy to just help the team compete and play defense. And you saw him wrestling with JoJo or whoever. He was a willing participant in making those centers that we've been talking about lives a lot more difficult. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to point to the the game-saving steal against Philadelphia, which was a huge play. But I would argue that his performance tonight in Dallas might have been his best of the season. A 4-4 from downtown, 5-7 of overall from the field, 15 points. I mean, anytime you get double-digit scoring from Covington, it is great. But the area where he makes his impact is on the defensive end. He had four steals. There was a series in the third quarter that really turned the, the tide around. And it started on the defensive end. He and Trent Jr. just absolutely hounded Doncic. He got a couple of seals. Uh, Gary Trent got a couple of seals. And we were off to the races. And that turned the game on its shoulders because Dallas had all the momentum. Going into mm-hmm. halftime, they erased our lead. They started out really hot. And it looked like it was going to be one of those games where we kind of you know fluttered down the, down, down the stretch. It wasn't the case. We had Covington out there playing point of attack defense. Uh, I loved our switchability uh, with he and Jones and Trent. And we just played smart defense. And I thought we made it difficult for Dallas. And we let the shooters who we wanted to shoot mm, shoot the ball. And, and I get it. Luca had 44 points on 14 of 20 shooting. Uh, he's going to have those nights. He's a fantastic player. He hasn't been shooting great from three this year. I think he's sub 30%. He's not the best three-point shooter in the he world. He went five of eight on a lot yeah. of tough step backs. I mean, that that's what great players are going to do. I thought we played really good defense on him. I thought he got the benefit of the whistle uh, more than a few times. But, you know, it is what it is. And Portland still walked away with the, the victory. I think the key there was Porzingis not going nuts, uh, keeping Tim Hardaway Jr. relatively uh, silent, you know, 12 points on 12 shots. Uh, a, a guy like Trey Burke, known blazer, you know, nemesis, very quiet, one field goal. And I think Covington has a lot to do with that. And he's mm-hmm. the type of player that I think as we see the team elevate their defense, his defense is going to become more noticeable. It was really hard for his impact to be seen because there's five defenders on the court and you can be making the proper reads, but if your teammates aren't communicating or mm-hmm. getting beat um, it, at the whole Everybody in the red and black looks like they're not doing their job. Yep. But when everyone starts chipping in and uh, putting forth a good effort and a good product on the end of the floor, you really start to see, okay, who is elevating that defense? And to me, it's hands down Robert Covington. Yeah, He's like, he's a a really great ceiling raiser of a defense. He's not going to be able to, I mean, it's basketball. You're not going to, it isn't like, Gary Payton or Drew Holiday. You can easily move that really awesome on-ball defender to a secondary person with the way offenses switch now. When you have those five players moving in sync and on a string, you really see that the brilliance of Robert Covington or the intelligence of Gary Trent Jr. or uh, DJJ just with their athleticism and how well hard they try on that end. Uh, but w- w- with everybody stepping up, you really see that 
Roberts just like raising that ceiling for us. And I think a player who has just been a rock for Portland, not only during this tenure, but during previous tenures, has been Ennis Cantor. We can talk about him out-rebounding Joel Embiid, 14-9. to Embiid's one of the best uh, rebounders in the game. He is averaging over 11 rebounds for the season. That's ninth in the league. Uh, for the month of February, he's giving you 13 points, 13.1 rebounds. He makes his free throws when he gets there, 82% shooting 55% from the field sage and giving you 31 minutes a night. Uh, absolutely consistent when it comes to finishing around the rim, hitting jump shots when he needs to be cleaning the glass, keeping us afloat when we need to be. And uh, I think we saw his value on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. I post defense he, is, he's good post. It's, it's, it's the him moving it's, is the, the mobile part. bigs. And I yeah. think you saw Terry Stotts, help his player out tonight, mm-hmm. not letting him go out there, run around, chase Chris Tapps Porzingis. Like he let him chase Stefan clay in game one of the Western conference finals. You have to know your personnel and set them up for success. I mean, he absolutely dominated Andre Drummond. One of the greatest rebounders the game has ever seen holds him to five boards. I mean, Andre was a complete non-factor mm-hmm. in his canter 21 and 13 against the Cavaliers. And we were worried about that big front court. He absolutely said, no, this is my house. This is my paint entrance denied. Like you guys got to go back to the hotel because this is exclusive to Ennis Cantor. And he, he shut shit down. I mean, he has been a model of consistency and, you know, I don't know why Boston didn't see his value. I don't know why he just continues to find his way back to Portland, but we'll take it. I mean, absolutely take it. He just fits the culture and the scheme. Boston had a lot of good bigs, has a lot of good bigs now. They're not the team's not doing as well, but they had talented bigs, and I guess Ennis wasn't as desirable. But here, he's just consistently putting up double doubles, and I really like what you said about Stotts saving his player because I think it would have been a really negative situation for Ennis to try and guard a uh, court Kristaps Porzingis because. He's just so athletic and gifted, like a seven three guy that can move like that. It, it, it's just a bad matchup for uh, for Ennis. But I, I think that you're going to see a lot of Ennis, especially against New Orleans. Like you can play Ennis against New Orleans without fear of anything. So he's going to have a big another big week this this week. So I'm I'm excited to see what he can produce against some teams that he matches up really well against. One player who has been maybe the most perplexing to me this season has been Carmelo Anthony. You know, oh, I, I t- boy, I've wanted to talk about this for a while. <laughs> when I put my notes in, I wrote the good, the bad, the Carmelo. Like you you don't, you know what you're going to get, but you don't know what you're going to get. Like, are you going to get catch and shoot Melo? Are you going to get him ISOing and, and taking a lot of, you know, tough shots? Um, you know, we've seen uh, a mixed bag from, from Melo this year, but I think he had a really solid week getting out of that slump he was in. Uh, last week, I mean, no performance is, is going to garner more attention than just the incredible fourth quarter that that be, that won us the game against mm-hmm. Philadelphia. You know, when he's going down the court and just pulling up from three and hitting that countless times, posting up and it's going in off the glass like that's those are the moments I live to attend games live and in person like I would have been going delirious with you. In the 300 level, everyone in that arena is doing three to the dome. And there's just an emotion that 
comes watching a future Hall of Famer continuously climb the all-time ranks in your team's jersey and winning mm-hmm. big games. And so whenever he does have a night where he might shoot four for 15 or you feel like the ball stopping a little bit, you got to have to take, like I said, that's why I said you have to take kind of the good with the bad because right now with CJ and Nurkic gone, there is a role for a higher usage player, especially off the bench. You, you need somebody to maybe settle the game down a bit. And for the most part, when he posts up, I think he's getting good looks because he's mm-hmm. posting up smaller defenders. You know, times when he's Plus isolating. For sure. Yes. Times when he kind of dribbles and tries to size up a, a Maxi Kleber on the perimeter. I'm not so sure of. I think you could find better looks there. But for the most part, I still think the signing has been a success. I think it's it's going to be a roller coaster. And, and who knows how it plays out as we start getting those higher usage players back into the fold. But just to know at the baseline, you've got a player who is not afraid of the moment, who can come in and win you a game, who can come in and really fill in in any role. And I think that's a positive that has being a little bit overlooked during Carmelo's tenure with Portland is he can be a part of the finishing five and just be a catch and shoot shooter. He can also be the star of somebody's bench and go in there and run an offense through them and give us three to four minutes while Dame rests. Mm-hmm. So I, overall, you have to be pretty happy with what you're getting from a minimum player who has accepted coming off the bench for the first time in his career. And like I said, that Philadelphia performance was absolute vintage Carmelo Anthony. He had some fucking plays where against uh, the Mavericks. He shut down Chris Stapps for Zingas. Zingas was trying to go baseline on him, and Melo cut that off. He tried to do another uh, – he tried to spin around on Melo and nothing and had to pass it off, and it caused a uh, shot clock violation. You mentioned it. It's his salary. He's supremely cheap. And I know a lot of people have these thoughts about Melo. Um, some people don't want him to play as much, but when you look at what he's being paid, it's not like we can get somebody that's complete at that price point. He's won us more games than anybody in his salary. Easy. Like if we were trying to, who is a minimum contract guy that we can use as an example? That's like a wing Garrett temple, the 10 day contract turned rotation player for the the Rockets, uh, JC on Tate. I like Tate though. Um, but But he's a minimum player. Yeah, he's a minimum player. Tate isn't going to uh, provide the self-creation that Carmelo Anthony has. We have talked about this for a long time. Self-creation is expensive. We're getting somebody who can create his own shot on a minimum salary. You take the the good with that. You take the good with the bad. You just do. I get it. If his name, if he was providing the same amount of production and his name was Dustin Hawes, everybody oh, would go crazy. Max him out. Max him out. Max him out, baby. Everybody would go crazy, but it's because he's a Hall of Fame player and has this long lineage of greatness that we that people expect him to be great now. His game is different. It's, he's going to have high variance outcomes to his game. His standard deviation in good games to bad games is one of the biggest in the league because there's some games where he can't throw it in the ocean, but there's some games where he comes up big in clutch moments. And if you can get that type of player on a minimum deal it's the it's one of the biggest values in sports the only way that you can find somebody on that deal is if you draft them you're not getting that type of salary savings with some vet because garrett temple or deshaun tate 
Jajante is going to get paid more. Uh, Juan Anderson on the Warriors going to get paid next year. Melo isn't going to garner the salary that those value players are going to get. We're getting a really nice cost-controlled player that can step up in times. Yes, his defense is bad. But you at times, think, at times, at times, at times, and I think at times he really shows that he yeah. can be a plus defender. It's, yeah. I think Melo's a type of player who rises to the occasion. And I think tonight's game was perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Where it's a national televised game, he's going to a big market playing against the Mavericks. They've got two superstars on on their team, and you know everyone's tuning into a national televised game with social media you know people are going to be tuning in and they're probably going to have a mention about you or tag you. Like you, you, you want to play good. Um, Melo's a type of player who rises to the occasion. I think we'll only see him get better as the season goes on. And for a four game stretch, I mean, Melo had himself a week. We, we go to Orlando, 23 points, five of nine from downtown, Philadelphia, 24 points, four or five from downtown, Cleveland, 23 points, three of seven from downtown. What a homestand Carmelo had. He goes to Dallas, 15 points. Yes, he only shoots seven of 17, but you want him on the perimeter. He took eight three-pointers. Only one of those dropped, and he still had a positive impact. He was a plus nine. Aside from Damian Lillard, that was the second highest plus minus on the entire team. So that shows me that he is finding ways to impact the team without doing what he does best. And that is hit threes. So he showed us what he does best in that, that three game homestand connecting from downtown, but he also won by posting up smaller defenders, keeping us afloat and playing pretty damn good defense uh, against Dallas. So yeah, I mean, minimum deal, if we're being honest, he should probably be making $10 million a season, but he gave us, you know, a discount and uh, yeah, he, he did us a solid when he didn't have to. Yeah. Uh, Again, if he was getting paid ten million dollars, I think that you, there's more of a you blink a way to com- to critique his game, and I get it. Everybody has the right to critique a player. This is a game we all enjoy. If you're listening to this podcast, unless you love one of the two of the hosts, you love basketball. Like, I, I what Melo provides at the co- the the contract level. I'm cool with whatever he does because he's won us more games than a Deshaun Tate or a Garrett Temple or whatever minimum contract player that we would have signed if Melo didn't sign. It's just his name kind of makes you think of 09 Melo, but 09 Melo's a decade older and he's going to provide value in his own way. I mean, just think of how worse we would be, Sage, if we substituted Melo for one of the three players we had on last year's team before he arrived. Anthony Tolliver, Mario Hazonia, Kent Bazemore. If either of those three players are in Carmelo Anthony's we lose uh, those roster spot, who knows what our record is right now? I so, mean, we need yes, usage. Th- we do. That's 100% right. He is providing what we need. Yeah, and, we needed usage last year. We needed usage this year. He's providing that. And then... When CJ comes back, Melo is going to defer to CJ. You've seen it in the past. He does take his shots, but when you look at last year's team, we needed him to have a 24% usage rate. It's going to go down when we have better players around him. He's going to see the, the the benefits of giving the ball to CJ, giving the ball to Dame. Nurkic deserves his touches. Ennis deserves his touches. It's all a salary point. I'm willing to take anybody on the team, even though if I have a personal bias towards them, if they're, 
if the there's value in that contract. I would take Eric Gordon if he was minimum guy. I really would. It's what he's providing per dollar. That's amazing. You don't expect one of your lowest salary players to win you four games this year. And salary is important because Sage, we're, this in cap, been, we're gonna be in cap hell in three years. <laughs> possibly. I think right now Portland has no bad contracts, but the topic I am seeing on Twitter has been Gary Trent Jr. and fans just absolutely terrified that we are not gonna be able to to pay Portland's fan favorite, uh, to put it lightly. I think everyone loves uh Gare Bear, and we we got quite a few. Uh, question. So I want to get into these fan questions before we talk about Gary Trent Jr. Um, the first question from Justin B. Leak wants to know, how do we keep Gary a Blazer next year? You offer him as much money as the clutch management demands. Exactly. He is on a cost control or he is on a team controlled contract. Being a restricted free agent, Portland has the right to match any and, sort of offer. Yeah. Portland will do so. There is no way they can let arguably their third best player. And yes, that's when CJ and Nurk return their third best player who is a marksman from downtown, a bulldog on defense and just brings it every single night at what? 22 years old. No way they let him walk. If they absolutely have to cut salary, you don't have to offer. You don't have to offer Zach Collins, his $7.5 billion qualifying offer. You can cut costs and let Zach walk. You Rodney Hood's contract is not guaranteed next season, so there's about seven, there's 17 right there. That that that's where you're making up the, the salary, and I hope they don't go that route because you could possibly have a contender there. But this is a team that matched to on a contract for Alan Crabb. There's no way they're letting Gary Trent Jr. walk. Small market teams can absolutely not afford to let homegrown talent Leave. walk for nothing. Mm-hmm. Portland has had a a bad history of that. We let we got nothing from that 14-15 team. We had to let Batum, or excuse me, we we had to let Wesley Matthews walk. Uh, we had to let Robin Lopez walk, and we Lamarcus Aldridge walked on us. Like that is a core part of your team, and we had to trade Nicholas Batum because everybody else left as well. So the Blazers really have to be smart, and I I, th- I think from what we've seen from from Gary Trent Jr. Sage. I think not only has he proven that he's a starter in this league, I think he's proven that he's worthy of a contract that he is going to get. Because if you look at what he is doing in the month of February, he's damn near at 20 points per game, 42% from the field, 48% from three. And that's on nearly nine attempts a night, giving you four rebounds, two assists in 35 minutes Um, as a 22 year old uh, in his third NBA season. Those, I mean, those are damn good starting numbers. I think he's going to get a contract and I think it's going to be good, but well, absolutely. We also have to figure in all of the other players who signed extensions with the current team, making what was a once heralded 2021 draft or free agency class. Excuse me. It's pretty bare bones now, mm-hmm. but if I'm a GM and you, I, and everybody listening has an, is invested in Gary Trent. If I'm a GM of the Toronto Raptors, am I going to go after Norman Powell, Josh Hart, Gary Trent? There's players that have the same 
if we're just saying D and three, there's plenty of players that have the same D and three. We've talked about how Gary Trent has versatility in his game that other people in the draft class don't, but I don't think there's going to be as much fanfare about Gary Trent unless, unless clutch really promotes it. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be as crazy as we all, uh, all fear. Because there's there's players on the in this class that also can do the things that Gary can do. Gary's better, but I'm not as worried of like a $25 million contract. I don't think people are going to uh, offer him that contract. Because I think most people would see Dean 3, he has some playmaking abilities. But I'm not going to go out outrageous for someone who some people might think his, his talent is capped. So I'm not as worried about like the the outrageous contract. I might be wrong, but I, I think what we have to do is try and get him to a team deal. And then if some, if Phoenix or Brooklyn or whatever team, I'm picking teams from 2012 that had money or 2013 that had money. I probably should fix if Atlanta offers him a contract. There's no way Atlanta match. has any more money. Atlanta has no more money after this off season. Man, they need to do some trades. But like, I'm trying to think of teams that have money. Detroit, Pistons. Dallas. I think Dallas is trying to ha- get someone better. But like, you know, I'm not as worried. But that's what I'm saying. Say, nobody. Kawhi Leonard is the marquee free agent. Everyone else put pen to paper, and it's, it's really a bunch of restricted free agents that are going to be av- available. So it's going to be an interesting free agency to see. Is a guy what what's Lonzo gonna get? It, who's gonna offer John Collins? He wouldn't sign an extension with the Atlanta Hawks because it wasn't max money. You know somebody's gonna throw him a max Absolutely. contract. People have been throwing contracts aside, shedding salary for this 2021 free agency class for years now, and it's not there. So it's going mad, yeah. Because it, 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 of everybody signing their their deals, it doesn't look as, as good, but I'm just going to hope that jams think that he's capped at a ceiling and aren't going to give him the contract he deserves. But I, I, I think this fear of letting your guy walk is something that every, every small market team deals with. And it's going to be a thing until he puts pen to paper and signs that extension with the blazers. So it is, it is what it is. I think it's going to be a thing. I'm just hoping in the, in my mind that it isn't outrageous, but even if it is outrageous, but he's worth it because he's he's a playoff player, and we have to we have to keep as many playoff players on the team as possible. Bubble Gary is real, yeah, and we saw how good he was when the chips were down, and we needed a uh, clutch, clutch baskets. Uh, I think, I think Portland brings him back, no questions asked. But I think a better question we got from Jay Shway on Twitter wanted to know: Do you foresee Gary taking the starting role over Derek? When CJ comes back, I feel like DJJ can give the bench a spark. But yeah, I definitely see Gary Trent taking over that starting three spot from DJJ. Um, I keep seeing on Twitter, how tall is Derek Jones Jr.? Because I keep seeing something that they're the same size. Is that is that actually true or? Wikipedia lists him as 6'5". Derek Jones? Yep. That's, so, yeah, does, so, does, so does basketball reference. If they're if they're legitimately the same size, and the only difference is the the vertical athlete that Derek is compared to Gary, then yeah, absolutely. I would I honestly envisioned him being like six eight. Maybe that's just that's that's on me for not realizing it. But if they're even close to the same size, there is no conversation about 
about the, the the size thing. It 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 has to be Gary Trent because of what he offers you in, in that role of of needing a spacer, not a vertical athlete. Derek Jones is going to have a role on this team, and it's it's going to be a big one. But if we're going to talk about starting and finishing, I think Gary Trent is the uh, optimal player. If you're serious about keeping Gary Trent Jr. long term and paying him big big money, he has to start. You, Why you would don't you pay bring... the, the six man like? 15 million dollars it's ridiculous i think he's getting 20 that's my prediction i hope uh, lower but honestly no, get, to get, that, get that bag gary get that bag <laughs> not my money he's earned it he's played like a beast yeah. you have to start him and i think he's a player that yes he is starting to create his shot more he's getting to that mid-range and pulling up and rising over defenders putting the ball on the floor but at his best he is a catch and shoot three-point shooter and as you as we saw throughout this entire season when he is on the floor with, you know, a Dame, a Nurk, a CJ, a Covington, who are you going to leave open if you're a defense? That why is no, no defense on that. so much for Dame and CJ, CJ to operate and just shred that defense. And as much, Derek Jones is one of my favorite players on the team. I don't know if we're still utilizing him correctly. I think defensively he is starting to, really become that player that, that we envisioned. There's a conversation between offense and defense, but yeah. But I think there's not much of a drop-off from Gary Trent's defensive, but offensively, there is... It's a different role. It's like, okay, Derek is, Derek is a, a much more supreme vertical athlete. And I mean, there is no arguing that. Dude has bounce that's otherworldly. In the role, you don't really need otherworldly bounce. If you're the same height as Derek Jones, he just has that unbelievable bounce. It for our small forward, what we need is a spacer that is a movement shooter and can can catch and shoot. Yeah, I, I think Derek Jones is gonna have a role. I think if it was the optimal lineup, it would be Dame, CJ, Gary Trent, Robert, and and Nurkic. One other thing to touch on is I think Portland has a good problem on their hands. We've all been sitting here patiently waiting for CJ and Nurk to return. However, they're coming back and it's not like they're significantly increasing the positions that they would be replacing. Uh, you look at CJ replacing Gary at the two, uh, Nurk coming in for Ennis at the five. Arguably, Ennis has had a better season than Nurkic has had. and He's been far more consistent. Far more consistent. You're not losing a whole lot. We've, we've seen that. Gary has proven that he can be a starter in this league. Um, I don't foresee a, a major trade. Um, I heard Woj say um, on ESPN that teams are a little flustered and frustrated that there's not an impact player available. And I think the coronavirus could possibly be playing a, a hand in that. So we may have to wait until the summer to see something. But I think Portland has a good problem on their hands because everyone wanted to see, okay, if, if you remove McCollum from this roster, could Gary Trent step in and give you something? Absolutely. And then some. Nurkic is arguably a, a really great trade ship as well on that contract. And Portland has done a really good job, again, treading water while he has been out with, with Ennis Cantor's productivity, his consistency, his energy. This will be an interesting season to watch play out as Portland kind of gets all of the troops together and healthy and, and makes a stretch run. It could be like 2019 with, with Nurkic. And you started to see how that team gelled and really put uh, a scare in the Western Conference. 
but it, if they ultimately don't win a championship, it could open up a lot of discussions for the summer. And I know that's a, a you know a few months from now, but it's something that I'm keeping my eye on and always keeping in the back of my my head is what is Portland going to do? Like we've talked about the log jam at the two guard for quite some time now. I think Neil is going to come to that realization as well and say, I could use help here. I've got four or five shooting guards. I don't need four or five shooting guards. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I, again, I'm not advocating for trading CJ and Nurk, whatever, but, but I am saying there are now viable ways to improve this roster without s- significant setbacks before it was, if you trade CJ, who's going to create for you, who's going to hit those shots at the two. We are starting to see Gary Trent's mat- maturing into that role. Um, the same thing with, with Yusuf Nurkic. They're two different players, but you're still getting consistent production from a guy like Ennis Cantor. He's not that – he doesn't have the peak uh, of Yusuf Nurkic. Ennis has consistency. He doesn't have the ceiling. Nurk has a ceiling in which he can dominate and change the game in your outcome. Ennis has a, a little bit of a ceiling, but it isn't comparable. I think CJ as a creator is something that Gary Trent will never be. Correct. I'll agree with that. But you see some abilities. I don't think that those two can be comparable as players because they're just so differently built. It's kind of like there aren't that many CJ McCollums. No. So if you don't look at it as the player, you have to look at it numbers and you look at production. You see, I can get production from a Gary Trent Jr. at the two where do we need production from across the board? Like, are you better, you know, with CJ and Covington at the two and the four, or what if you have Gary Trent and I'm just throwing up Pascal Siakam, like that's, that's kind of where the Blazers could potentially take this roster to the next level. If they don't get to where they want to at the end of this season. So that's why I'm. It's all it's options. It's options. And it's something flexibility. It's something I felt we've been kind of, had our hands tied behind our back with rosters past because it's really been, okay, we have Damon CJ and that is it. You trade one of them and we're going to be in the same predicament, but thank to, but thanks to, to Gary and Ennis and even a guy like Anthony and Nasir uh, showing, you know, improved okay. showing that they can, yeah, they're tapping into that potential. You can start to see, okay, it really can be next man up. And I think that's what we were hoping for from Anthony Simons last year, filling in for Seth Curry he was a year away. He's starting to make that, that trend uh, that, you know, that transformation into a legitimate backup player in this league. And so, yeah, you're right. It gives Portland options, flexibility, and you really feel like you can make um, some noise in the off season, but hopefully we have a good enough season and good enough finish this year, Sage, that we're not really too worried about that. With the current general manager and coaching staff, if we don't make it, do you think that, Neil Olshay and the rest of his staff have the guts to trade away someone consistent like CJ McCollum. You have to define not making it. Like if the if they lose in a game seven of the semifinal Western Conference semifinals, you still may feel like okay, we were that we close. have a chance. Like what if or we lose you, in six you, games to the Jazz or the, the first the round? Yeah, in the first round, I think. You, you have to have a significant roster shakeup. And I think that ultimately means maybe Neil and Terry have to go. Um, th- this team has a lot of pressure on them. I mean, a new GM has perform. no emotion towards like this these team players. 
is built to win now. And if you have arguably the best player in franchise history on it, you absolutely have to get out of the first round. And now I know you get a little bit of a mulligan with, with the injury card. However, Portland's staying afloat. And right now we're in the middle of that four or five. And, and to be honest, I want to stay there, especially if the jazz are going to be at the one seed. If you're, if your route to the finals is Phoenix at the four, Utah at the one, and then you let the two LA teams kill each kill other, each other. In, in the second round and you face one, of the, that is the best possible outcome for the Portland Trailblazers. So a lot of it depends on seeding. Like it, t- we talk about winning championships and luck. Luck plays a huge role. Luck could play a, a factor in, in the fate of, of our coaching staff and general manager. It just basketball is a cold bitch. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, it doesn't care. And it's going to, that's why the rest of the season is going to be so intriguing for me to see how we, we finish. I, I do think that we're playing admirably right now. And I'm happy with where we're at, but we have to get out of the first round and then we take it from there. Like, I don't think that we, we have to show that we're at least a piece away, Sage. Mm -hmm. If it's more than that, then I think you see significant changes, but we've talked about having this core for quite some time and, you know, running it back and running it back. The time's really starting to tick on that. And so you have to, you have to make decisions, I think, with your head and not your heart. And I know that's difficult, especially for for me. Um, you get attached to these players. For his entire career, he values his players over. We have our guys that we have emotional attachment to as fans. Like, you and I have argued about Sadiq Bay via text for, like, months now. BT Dubs, he's killing it right now. And I'm going to tell you that the Pistons had Mason Plumley, Ja Okafor out, and they needed somebody to produce. And Sadiq Bay had a ceiling game. Consistency. <laughs> Consistency as a 34% shooter. See, we have these, we have these biases. I brought up Sadiq Bay for a reason. We have bias towards him. Going to Neil O'Shea, he has bias towards his own guys. As we've just proven, we all have bias towards our own players. <laughs> Can he overcome his bias and his optimism? It depends. I, I mean, to be uh, fair, uh, CJ McCollum was having a career year, all star lock before getting hurt. Nearly 30 points per game, damn near 50% from three on like 11 attempts. Like, I mean, just ridiculous. If he plays like that when he comes back, it's going to be a tough sell to, to move him. You, you have to find, you know, time for, for Gary and then somebody else may get kicked out. I, I don't know. I don't want to be the one to make that decision, but we're going to, I mean, I think a lot of players are going to be auditioning for their spot on the roster mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the season. Players not named Damian Lillard. And that's just kind of, kind of how it is. But you, you want to talk about like next man up. Like I would feel so confident if we had to start Nasir Little next year or give him big minutes. I think he's ready. I think he's that next Gary Trent Jr. for this team. So, you know, I just, I think we're in a really good spot. I, if a new general manager came in, he would make a lot of hard decisions easy. You know what I'm saying? Like we all, we are all in, supremely invested in each and every player. So it, it, it's tough. I, I mean, I think we're, we're producing and, do you think when CJ comes back, he's going to jump into 30 minutes a game? Are we, since it's a, it's a lower leg injury, do you think we're going to ease him back into 30 minutes a game? Because I think with Nurkic, since it's a hand injury, we once he's good, I think he's going to be able to play bigger minutes because he's be able to work out. With CJ, he's kind, he's been on ice because 
that foot. Like, how do you how do you think we're going to handle both of those players returning from from injury? With the way the two players in front of him are producing, slow slow it down. Don't rush him. So, do you think Nurk will take? If Harry Giles is healthy, do you think we, he takes Harry's spot for a few games and then eases up to like a 24-24 yeah. split? I don't think there's, there's yeah, 24-24 split is kind of what I would envision if I was uh, the Blazers in that center rotation. That makes sense to, to me. And then, you know, we can experiment with, you know, rotations and we can experiment with rotations with our two through three minutes. I mean, it's a good, having a guy that's a top, top 99 percentile creator in the league is kind of it's it's a really nice problem to have trying to ease him back into to minutes and last question sage from dana ramoni on twitter wants to know i just read that jeremy lynn is going to play in the g league what do you think about the blazers signing him as a backup ball handler with mccollum out or do you think anthony simons is enough right now I mean, you, uh, all right. We just talked about bias, and Jeremy Lin's a Chinese point guard, and I like I, I'm Chinese, so I'm gonna obviously want him to be on the team. I th- I think that there are a lot of good point guards that need a team to play for. I think it would be smart to have another ball handler on this team, and if it's Jeremy Lin, I think that's great. And if it's Mike James from the Euro League or Shane Larkin, I think that there's players that are deserving of roster spots to be in the pros and absolutely or Jared, our old friend, Jared Jack, he he was in the G league too. Like I think there's players that we can bring in and I would not be, I I would welcome Jeremy Lin. You know how hyped I would be to see someone who looks like me play basketball. I'd be all about it. I think maybe as a, as a 15th roster spot right now though, whether you agree with it or not, the Blazers are in too deep with the Anthony Simons situation. And I think any significant change to that could really hinder his confidence. And he does seem to be coming around. So I would be very hesitant to bring in a player that's just, you know, of a, of a an Isaiah Thomas, for, for example, like he could view uh, as a threat. Um, I mean, I, I was watching the... Um... That uh, collapse video of the Pacers the other day on YouTube, and they were saying how the Pacers bringing in Andrew Bynum messed up. Evan Turner, too. And Evan Turner, how they've messed up the players ahead of them. So I don't like every yeah. roster movement's going to have waves. Look no further than the 2001 Trailblazers, first in the Western Conference after the All Star break. They were already 12, 13 deep. They go ahead and sign Broad Strickland when they had. Pippen, Stoudemire, and Greg Anthony at the point, that that was that that was a very fine balance of, of personalities. Yes. And that was the jelly bean that tilted the scale one too far in favor of disaster. And we self-destructed. So unless unless it's a player that you're trading for that you really envision as a long-term piece, I, I wouldn't mess mess it up right now. Um we may need a, a big rather than a point guard with Harry Giles going down with a non-contact injury uh, today. Is there any information on There's no no update. So Portland Town has one big man. Huh. I wonder where we have seen that scenario before. Yo, as we've seen in the last few days, Robert Covington is oh so willing to bang with or wrestle with any, any big. So I think we're going to see some Robert Covington five minutes in the near, near future. 
All right, Sage, let's dig into this upcoming slate of games. Portland has two more on the road Tuesday and Wednesday at Oklahoma City, at New Orleans, and they come back for a quick pit stop in Portland Saturday against the Washington Wizards. Let's start with the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that gave Portland a loss in Portland uh, just last month on the 25th of January, 125 to 122. The Thunder are 11 and 15 second to last in the Western conference, but that Western conference is so tight that they're mm-hmm. really only five games behind Portland and a game out of the, the play in. And while the organization may want to take those players, sure. They play hard for their first year head coach. Um, George Hill, I believe is still out, but yeah, he, 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 he has a thumb in. They got some dogs keep... though. Mm-hmm. They got um, so, dogs on that team. So let's talk about what they've been doing with their rotations recently. Um, I mean, Jay I think has been out uh, quite he, a he's bit. He's questionable. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be so much injury news that's going to help dictate this game. Um, he's he's had some injury problems. Theo Maladon is uh, is another injury guy. So uh, Diallo has been the uh, starting one. But when you watch Oklahoma City, you know who the leading playmaker on that team is? Al Horford. Darius Basley? Oh, uh, Al Horford, the, the Al Horford is the guy that's making things run. You know, Diallo brings the ball up, but it's Al Horford's show. He is making the most decisions. Like, like the two biggest playmakers are Al Horford and Kenrich Williams. Like th- this team is desperate for a playmaker. So if those two are gone, you really have to focus on stopping Al Horford, who last year looked washed because he was with. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. He didn't get the usage. But now he's getting usage. He's getting making decisions, and he's a really smart player. He's like one of the smartest players in the league. So he's making really good decisions with the ball. Looks a lot better. So Al Horford, if Shea and Theo and George, let's just say George Hill because he's always going to be out with a thumb. If those guys aren't playing, it's, it's the Al Horford show. But now if Shea is back, it changes everything, and it shifts to Shea being the ultimate decision-maker for the team. They have so few bodies with all of these injuries and all of these the, the other things that affect them. It's to me tough to predict because we don't Sage, That is incredible information, but I'm going to tell you, there's only one thing that matters in this game. And it's Mike Muscala. Can Portland just not leave him? He's, he had a concussion, though. He's been out for a while. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to magically appear because he was a blazer killer. Six of ten from downtown. We decided to leave him open. The entire Thunder roster shot not only 18 of 40 from downtown. They got to the line 35 times. That is just a recipe for disaster. For the team at the, at the time was an NBA worst 105 points per game, put up 125. Portland needs to play better defense on the perimeter, and they need to not foul. Uh, One of my talking points of this podcast was no letdowns. We saw that against Cleveland, came out and just busted their ass after a a dramatic victory over Philadelphia. And then we came after that game to kick off a road trip. We looked like we were on a mission against Dallas. Uh, there, There can't be any letdowns. This is a game that you had hoped to win when you looked at the schedule, especially after this, you know, homestand after these last few performances, those stage, now you kind of expect to win this game. And that's what kind of separates the, the really dominant teams in, in the conference. And for Portland to do that, you know, I think they're going to uh, they're going to need to lean on that bench. They got really good production 
uh, today, especially from Carmelo. Um, I, if Harry's not able to go, maybe you're looking at a guy like Nasir Little getting in, getting more time. Uh, Do you think we see Center Mello? Yeah, we'll see Center Mello. We'll see Center Covington. I think Nasir is going to move up and play some four, and I think it's just going to be Blazers by committee. Mm-hmm. Hell, we may even see some some CJ Ellaby get in there, but I think they He's have willing that. to scrap. They have that mindset. So, you know, my X factor is going to be be the bench. Can we get a surprise performance like we got Nasir uh, against Milwaukee scoring 30, CJLB against the Sixers? Like, like what what can we get? Um, so that's my X factor. I think the Blazers win. I, I think, think the Blazers is, win too. They absolutely have to have this game. It will it will be a back-to-back. Portland plays your New Orleans Pelicans for the first time this year. The Pelicans are 11 and 15 on the season. Again, tied for the Thunder for the second worst in the league. This was a team that did sweep the Blazers 4-0 last year. Uh, and it's a hard matchup for me to predict because we, in the, Zion, in the Zion Williams era, Zion Williamson era, excuse me, Portland's never been fully healthy playing playing this team. So well, and it's, Hassan Whiteside went against him. Like, that's not fair to Hassan. Still, I mean, it's like we, we, we've been really shorthanded and uh, Zion has given us the business. He's been a, the player that was been very difficult for for us to defend. And he's not getting as much hype as he got maybe last year or to start the season. But he's consistent quietly putting up some very impressive numbers. Super efficient, too. So, Sage, you're, you're the Pelicans guy. Break it down. How does Portland attack this Pelican defense? How do they stop them on offense? What what can they do to, to end this road trip 3-0? So everything I'm about to say is full of love because I'm a fan of this too. We, earlier in this year, the Pelicans were supposedly one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. But when I watched this team, it was all flukish. If you remember a few weeks ago, we, or we played the Toronto Raptors and I said that they were just really unlucky. They played the Pelicans twice, so I got to see them be unlucky. And like the three open three pointers that they took happened to rim out. The Pelicans have been fraudulent on defense. They just gotten really lucky sometimes and won games they absolutely shouldn't have. When you're a soft team like the Pelicans defensively, you're going to give up three pointers in bunches. So the way you stop the Pelicans offensively is you compress the paint. When Zion posts up, you send help. You create a wallow around the basket and just stop them. The way Zion is unworldly skilled is on the fast break. You're not going to stop him on the fast break. Don't try and give him a foul. But in, in half-court defense, you build the wall, you force him to post you up, and you send help, and you block the shot. You let those mediocre shooters shoot. Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe are bad. They are bad starting shoot, uh, point guards at shooting. You... Know your personnel. You don't let Brandon Ingram or J.J. Reddick kill you, but you let Zoe and you let Eric and you let all those other players that aren't those two shoot. And that's how you win this game is you let those guys shoot. You attack that paint, Herman Gomez. You attack these non-defenders. You go to the basket every time, draw fouls on Steven Adams and Zion, force them to put in these bad defenders and attack. There's going to be open three-pointers all game. They're not going to run out. You mentioned that, and I want to add in. I saw when I was watching 
uh, the Nuggets and Lakers, I saw the, the ticker pop by of the Pelicans and Pistons, and underneath it said, the New Orleans Pelicans have gave up 67 three-pointers yeah. over a three-game span, which is the most in NBA history. Yeah, when you're soft <laughs> like the Pelicans, you're giving Portland up Portland loves shooting threes. I mean, yeah. their eyes have to light up at this matchup. You're talking about players who can't shoot. They like to post it up. Um, they like to play in the paint. Portland They're slow, well, too. Portland welcomes that. It seems like it. It's a tailor-made matchup for this. Yeah, it's absolutely a tailor-made current iteration matchup. of the Blazers. Yeah, it's a tailor-made. Where do matchup. the Blazers get tripped up then if they if they can't take advantage of New Orleans? What what can New Orleans Eric do? Zion, uh, Eric Bledsoe and Zoe hit threes. So kind of like the Knicks game. Yeah, like you if if Eric Bledsoe has his game where he's six for ten from three, our philosophy of know your personnel has failed, but. In the long run, we're going to be profitable playing against the Pelicans, letting those non-shooters shoot. You just influence, like Lonzo Ball is going to want to shoot. Is he worthy of the attempts? Yeah. No, he is not worthy of all these attempts he's going to get. Um, the, the players that scare you are Zion and Brandon. Zion is consistent. He will score a lot. He's not going to get those other stats like rebounds and blocks and steals and all that assists. Because he's it's, it's it, he's just scoring dependent, and you haven't really seen a game where he hits his ceiling. You've seen really consistent twenty five to twenty eight points. If you're a fantasy person, it's forty points, forty fantasy points. You see that every day. You hope that he doesn't hit his ceiling for the first time all year, but the way you stop it is you compress that paint. They don't have good spacing. It's it's really. Compress the paint, and if Zoe and Eric beat you, we're going to beat you two other times because I don't trust the shooting. Their personnel doesn't match the scheme and the the defensive pressure that the coach and general manager want and the, pre- the president of basketball operations. It's, it's kind of a failure of asset use. Is Steven Adams a good center? Yes. But is he worth that extra pick that you got for Drew Holiday? I don't know. Is he helpful for Zion Williamson in terms of spacing? No, but he made the defensive unit good for a little while. Know your personnel. That's all. I mean, we win this game if you know your personnel. What's your X factor and what's your prediction? I think we win. I think we might win really easily if we get hot from three. Uh, The X factor, our three-point shooting, there's going to be quality shots all game. So if we can take and make quality open shots, we win. Attack the basket. Like th- this is a da- game for Damian Lillard to hit his ceiling. It's a game for Gary Trent to hit his ceiling, and honestly, Carmelo Anthony too. Yeah, you mentioned Dame, and he's my X factor. We saw Luca get forty plus. We had a career high forty seven against this this Pelican defense. Mm-hmm. I I think both teams will be on the second half, second night, excuse me, of of a back to back. And this is where you really lean on your superstars. And we've talked about this and Dame has talked about this. He, he likes those back-to-backs. He'd rather play them than have that day off. Just kind of, you know, get through that. And I think if you do see the Blazers win in Oklahoma city, they've had enough times this year where they haven't closed out road trips. You look at that second game in golden state that would have given them, given them a three and one trip that had all of those California teams. You look at the, the game against the New York Knicks in New York, the, 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 the matinee game that would have given us a four and two trip that we kind of fumbled. I think that starts to kind of stay in the player's ears and, and you know, 
oh, we have a chance to go 3-0 on this trip. Okay, let's handle business against Washington because then your next three games, Denver, Phoenix, and the Lakers on the road, that's murderer's row in the Western Conference. Yeah, you Conference. need to have that, that, that So you need to build up this cushion, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think for the reasons that you mentioned, this team, if Portland focuses and you get a strong three-point uh, outing, I, I think they win. Um, the matchup is just there with them going with tradition, the traditional big, I would also put a caveat that Ennis Cantor has to stay um, out of foul trouble. Yeah. But is Steven Adams in a draw fouls? I don't know. But Sage, we saw Damian Lillard almost foul out. It was one of those mm. crazy games but against you, the Mavericks. We, we can't predict foul trouble. That's exactly. Like, and they yeah. were weird fouls, like mm. away from the play. And sometimes they come in bunches. So it's going to be really important for that. Um, so, yeah, I do think Portland wins, and then they come home for a quick game against the Washington Wizards, which uh, they they have already beat the Wiz one time this year. It was one of those crazy games where they would go up 14, the Wizards would come back, and then finally Portland had the, enough of a kick at the end to kind of shake free, winning 132-121. to 121. This has been a Washington Wizards team that's been com- a complete disaster. 7 of 17, bottom of the barrel in the Eastern Conference um, four and eight away from home, and despite having the league's leading score in Bradley Beal, uh, Sage, they just do not play an ounce of defense. So. No, they don't. They, I mean, they play at the fastest pace in the league. They've this is the Cleveland Cavalier game all over again, in my opinion. Well, I, with a much better backcourt, but yeah, but yeah, so you have a struggling team coming into your floor. It, it's all about no letdowns, it's all about focus, I think, for the Blazers in this one. Are the Wizards playing a game before or after this game? Because Russ only plays one uh, one game of a back-to-back. Because if he's not playing, Bradley Beal gets a boost in everything. Nope. nope. So Russ is going to play, most likely. Yep, which is great for Portland. Yeah, I mean, Russ... Because Dane gets up for those games. If Russ doesn't isolate and get to the hoop, he is not an NBA player, right? If he is just a shooter, he is not an NBA quality player. You want Russell Westbrook to shoot jumpers. He's finally driving it to the hoop, which is really important for his value. He's been shooting a lot of jump shots this year. He cut his drives per game in half for most of this year. He's finally driving to the hoop and being great. Obviously, you worry about Bradley Beal, but it's it, it's such an easy way to get points in this game. We just have to play some defense, and our defense has improved. So, yeah, I, I think the Blazers win. The Washington Wizards aren't going to stop us. So it's be careful of Bradley Beal. Invite Russell Westbrook to shoot. And if he shoots, let him. That's the goal. Like <clears throat> we, we've talked about Ben Simmons. He is not a shooter. Every time he takes a long jumper, it's a dub for the, the defense. Even if the ball goes in, it's a dub for the defense. You handle Russell Westbrook the same exact way. I think that those those players that like the Danny Abdia, the Rory Hachimura, the Davis Bertans, you let them shoot, except Davis, but like you let them have a bigger role. Bradley Beal and Russell are the ones that scare I, me. I was I I I think I opposed to that. I I think you can't let Beal go unconscious, but if he gets 37, he gets 37. What you can't have is a guy like Hachimura who had a fantastic he night. He had the ceiling game of all ceiling games against 24. Yeah. But he did it. He still, that means he's capable of doing it, especially against the defensive looks. I mean, everybody can get hot one of the, I mean, 
but he did though. So I'm saying Portland cannot allow that to happen because it, it almost cost us in this one. If I'm Portland, my X factor is going to be Gary Trent Jr., Robert Covington. Those two players alongside Damian Lillard should be getting a ton of looks. Gary was seven of nine from three last time we played. Covington, five of eight. Uh, if Portland is dialed in and they are focused, just like the Cleveland game, defense leading to offense, um, they, they should win this game. Again, th- these games now all become playoff type games with how close the Western Conference is is jumbled. You know, you have nine games until the break and you, you're hoping to get good news with, with CJ and Nurk, you know, coming back to the cavalry, you know, sooner rather than later, you've weathered the storm. So, so wonderfully, the last thing you want to do is stub your toe heading into the toughest stretch of the season, because right after this, this three game um, road trip, again, we have this game against the wizards. We have that three game trip. Again, we just talked about but then you got three more home games, all winnable games, Charlotte, Golden State, Sacramento. You could be in just incredible shape if you just take care of business. And I think I mean, that's, these are very winnable games. That's the theme for this week. Take care of business. Um, so I, I do think Portland wins at three. No would be absolutely fantastic because you go three. No, you run your, you run your win streak to seven. You can go one and two on those three upcoming road games and feel okay about it. You're like, okay, we're fine. Like that's expected. Keep, keep, keep handling business. And you want to be at least in that four or five seed. That's what it takes. Just, just keep winning games. So win winnable games. Anything Uh, else for the, for the listeners before we wrap this one up, Sage? You can hear us on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Himalaya podcast, nothing but net radio dash radio. Tuesdays, two to three, uh, Eastern four to five. And if you enjoy this, give us a nice five-star rating and a positive review. And uh, you're a real one for listening this far. And we out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go. Let's go.